Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Amen. Well, I'm so excited about being here today um, and about the topic we're going to talk about. But I figured since we're in the middle of a series, forgive, uh, forgive me all of our guests if this is our first time here, because I'm going to do a little quiz. So you get to see how well the um, people in this congregation pay attention. So what is the current series? Oh, Revelation. Cameron, you're forbidden from answering. <clears throat> yes, we are in a psalm series. So, um, and we've called it the playlist for life because it covers a lot of things. Um, we're actually covering five of the genres in psalms. So I want to know, what are the two that we've already covered? Thanksgiving? Wisdom. Amen. Good job. So yes, wisdom and thanksgiving or remembrance. Those have been our last two weeks. If you'd like to learn more, um, two weeks ago, we introduced the series and talked a lot about like the book of Psalms. And then um, we talked about the wisdom Psalms. And last week, Marilee did a fantastic job talking about being thankful and remembering. So um, what kind of, next question, what kind of poetry do the Psalms use? Chiasm. Who remembers last week? What does a chiasm look like? Yes, it does that. And the point is in the middle, which is amazing. So if you ever study more, there's chiasms all over the Bible and they're super helpful when you're studying the Bible. Oh, and there's one more. No, not a cross. Well, there is an acrostic in there, but I didn't talk about that one. Anybody? Parallelism. Yes. That's where a lot of the verses are couplets. And so it's a, a, a line of verse. And then the second one repeats or reiterates what the first one was. Okay. So lots of that. Um, next question. How can you use the Psalms? There's three ways. What? Write your own. Sing them, pray them. Thank you. Yes, you can sing them, you can pray them, and you can use them as a template to write your own. Last question. How many books are in the Psalms? Huh? Not, no, 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 not 150 chapters. Five. There are five books. And we covered that the first week. There's like book one, book two, book three, book three. And if you um if you're interested, there's a handout that gives you going deeper. And um each of the books is in here and it shows like the theme of the books. That's if you want to geek out. Justin, just for you. Um so so we talked about there's five genres. And um, this is a great graphic that shows more than five because we talked about the fact that sometimes people split them a little bit more. But what's interesting is that, oh, the laments are the largest number. There's the largest amount is in Psalms is uh, laments. And so laments, um, since there's more than any other, we can like go, okay, well, what is a lament? 
And last week, Marilee talked about the fact that we are to not, what, what should we not be doing? Anybody? Just for fun. Complaining, right? So complaining, um, it, it, it's all over the Bible. And um, in 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, it says, do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. And you're like, ooh, so they complained and then they ended up dead. Well, actually, um, what this verse is referring to is Korah, who was um, uh, one of the priests. And he and got a bunch of people, rabble rousers, to come up against Moses and Aaron. And they were complaining about them and saying, well, I don't, you know, like you can read it. Uh, but they were complaining and they were saying things. And God went, <laughs> no, thank you. And killed them all. Okay, so um, complaining, not, not a good thing. Uh, Philippians says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And he's showing the contrast between what the world does complain, grumble, argue, and what we should do. So laments, we just talked about there's a bunch of them in the Psalms, and laments, a lot of them are complaining. So is there a, I mean, is, is God like not, like he's telling us to do something we're not supposed to do? Or, I mean, is he demonstrating that? What's interesting about about complaining is who you complain to. So what's interesting about Korah, who I just talked about, is that the sons of Korah are some of the authors in the Psalms. Their their complaints got recorded and are in the Bible. God said, you know what? These guys are good because they came to me with their complaints. They talked to me. They didn't go to everybody else. And please hear me. If you think I don't complain. People have heard me complain. But my challenge to you is, did you go to God first with that complaint? Okay, your spouse, maybe. That, that, one's, a, that one's okay. But, I, I mean, really, you need to go to, your, to, go to God with the complaint and trust him with your issues. Because when you go around complaining and tearing people down, you look just like the world. And how many of us have seen other Christians, let's say in the last, I don't know how many years, on social media doing that very thing? It's a really bad representation of who God is, and you and I are called to represent him well. And complaining doesn't do it. So, um, okay. So I love this quote about the laments. It's by Sky Jatani, and it says, "Psalms captures the honest, often raw, relationship between God and His people. It is emotional, volatile, and even contradictory at moments. But rather than simple, tidy answers to the perplexities of life and faith." Psalms dignifies our struggles. It validates the pain we feel in inexplicable injustice, 
it acknowledges that sometimes we want to shake our fist at God and demand to know why. And that such moments are not indicative of a weak faith, but an honest one. You know, often I hear people, you know, say, I'm going through a hard time, but God is good, but God is good. And that is a true statement, but it's not as if you can't tell God your honest feelings. Hey, he already knows. Um, so just so you know, you can pour out your grief to God. You can pour out your complaints to him. You can say, this isn't fair and I want to know why. Job did it for a lot of chapters, right? Um, and, and so we can do that and still have faith, still believe that God does what he says he's going to do, still believe for a miracle when it doesn't look like a miracle will happen. You can still say, I want my miracle and not be faithless. In the book of Laments, we see raw emotions. We see some really gritty stuff. We see metaphorical Metaphorical language. Um, In Psalm 2212, it says, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. You're like, what? What they're trying to do is they understood what it felt like to be surrounded by bulls. I don't know what that feels like, but I have, we have metaphorical language for us. When we say it's raining cats and dogs, although that's an idiom, we don't really mean that cats and dogs are falling from the sky, right? But we don't just say, wow, it's raining hard. That doesn't evoke emotion. The Psalms evoke emotion. Psalm 22, 13 says, roaring lions that tear their prey open with their mouths wide are against me. Well, he wasn't actually talking about a real lion tearing him apart, okay? But he was talking about his enemies feeling like that. I I love this one. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Wow. Such figurative language just helps you to connect with the um, author, and just know that, that there's somebody else that has felt the way you do. It uses idioms. <laughs> so I already talked about raining cats and dogs, but there's another idiom in here. And it, it's found in 80, uh, Psalm 86.15. And it doesn't say it clearly because when you translate something, if something doesn't translate, you make it make sense. Do we get that? So you don't use the same words. But literally in Psalm 86, 15, it says that God was long in the nostrils. And you're like, I'm sorry? What does that mean? Well, it was an idiom because if someone was short in the nostrils, they were like a horse or something that would... Right? They would get really angry really fast. But long in the nostrils meant he did not get angry fast. He was long suffering. He was slow to get angry. And so um, so we have idioms in the in the Psalms, which are pretty fascinating, actually, if you're a language 
geek. Um, and then majority of them transition to thanks and praise. S.G. Meyer says this, the Psalms teach us that in our emotions, or that our emotions are grounded in our faith, our covenant faith. This contradicts our mistaken belief that our emotions are something over which we have no control. You can control your emotions. It's okay to have them, but they don't have to run your life. And you know, the, the scripture says that the heart is deceitful above all things. You have to be careful letting your emotions control your life. We can pour them out to the Lord and then we bring it around to trust and praise. So, um, so the layout of a lament, typical lament has four parts. And I happen to have them all starting with P. There you go. So we have a preface, preface, we have a protest, we have a petition, and we have praise. So the preface is addressing God. The protest is lodging our complaint. It's saying the lament. What's interesting is most of the Psalms are not specific in the lament or the complaint. They do say things like, that my enemies are after me and, and I'm going to die. But he doesn't say, like David doesn't say, Saul is pursuing me and I'm afraid for my life. And so that makes the Psalms very applicable to, to use in lots of situations. Does that make sense? So when they, don't, they aren't so specific that you can't recite them. Remember, a lot of Psalms were turned into songs. So we wouldn't want to like, you know, 100 years later be in the temple going, God, Saul is pursuing me. Wait, no, not. Okay, so, so does that make sense? You, we, we would sing a psalm and it doesn't use specifics. Um, and in the protest, a lot of times they'll say things like, I'm hurting or you don't care or they are winning and, and then give him a reason to like help him. And then a petition is when you ask boldly for what you want. I don't want to be sick anymore. God, heal me, that heal me, or fix this situation. You ask boldly for you what you want. And then you turn to praise and thanksgiving, knowing that God is good. Now, some of the Psalms, there are people who believe that they were finished after, um, after the situation had happened. You know what I mean? Like they cried out to God. They told him their protest. They asked for what, what happened, asked for help. And then a little later, when the help came, they finished with praise and thanksgiving. But not all of them. Not all of them. And so the point is to know that even in my situation, no matter what happens, I will trust in you. So we're going to do a little demonstration so with my four volunteers, yes, Patty, I need you. Come up. No, you. Okay, I need you to line up right here. I need four of you. Uh, Patty's coming. Okay. You can scoot over just a little bit. So for the cameras, Justin, take a step this way. Okay. Here you go. 
Here you go. Here you go. All right. So they are going to demonstrate a psalm to you. Yes, and yes, you can turn it around and hold it up. Oh, Patty, 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 Patty. (laughs) Let's do it again. Uh, Wait, wait, wait. Let's do it again. Okay. Take it from the top. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great job. Great job. There is a quiz later, so you need to remember this now. Um, some of the laments are complaints, and they really, I read this one, one um, commentator who said, it's like they're throwing a tantrum. Anybody ever been in a situation where you wanted to throw a tantrum? It's okay to do that before God, before God. All right, so now we're going to go through a psalm, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to highlight, and then we're going to do a couple more. So the first one is Psalm 13, and this is a typical psalm, a typical lament. And so we're just going to read it. Oh, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So we're going to go back through it, and I'm going to highlight those specific parts. The, the preface, oh, Lord, he's addressing who? His friend. Oh, no, he's addressing the Lord. Not social media, not his friends, not, you know, the people who he's got a problem with. He's addressing the Lord. And then we see the protest. Will you forget me? How long? How long? How long? He's repetitive in his protest. He's complaining. Enough is enough, God. Come on. It's been years and I've struggled with this thing. It's been months and I haven't gotten a resolution. Anybody been there? You pour that out to the Lord. And then you petition him, look on me and answer. Give light to my eyes. He's asking for help. Show me how to get through this. Give me light. And then he says, but I trust in you and your unfailing love. Did you know God's love never fails? God's love never fails. My heart rejoices. He's singing praise to God. And then he sings. I will sing the Lord's praise because he's been good to me. So good. So good. Can we get this? Can we learn this? This would change our lives if we could understand how to do this well. 
there's two kinds of laments. Did you know that? There's the individual lament and there's the communal ones. They were written specifically for the individual or the, uh, um, so the individual one is a person who's crying out as an individual. Now they would still be used as a song for the congregation to sing. Sometimes we have songs that will say, my heart cries out to you. And sometimes we have songs that saying, we will praise you. Right. So communal. In it. But um, again, they lack specifics. So they're applicable in, in all situations. So you can sing them. And if you feel like you're being chased down by your boss or your coworker, you know, David's got a great bunch of song or laments for you. But communal ones were written when the whole community experienced a hardship. And so they were national or congregational distresses. So a national distress for us could be 9-11, a school shooting, a you know, tornado wipes out a community. And the whole community is affected and the whole community cries out to God. But it could also be a congregational one. You know, years ago, um, many of you might not know, many of you do. Um, I attended this church. We were in this building. And um, I had a daughter two years old who died. And uh, she drowned in our pool. And, and when I walked into church, everyone in the community in this congregation was in tears. Because it affected our whole community. And I could go on with other people in other circumstances. But there was a sense as a community, why God? What is going on? And we cry out to him in faith that he is good. And he, we can trust him. We can trust he is good. When things don't make sense and we can't understand, we still can trust him because he is good. And yes, and I can testify to that. Who can testify to God is good? Raise your hands high. Amen. Look around. God is good. Even in hard situations, he is good. Um, interestingly, though, some of the communal laments um, miss the praise, but we see the overwhelming uh, genre of laments ends with praise, trust, thanks to God. Okay, so that's something we need to stand on. So an individual psalm, we're going to take Psalm 6 and we're going to pick it apart. This one, we know who the author is. Remember, one third of all the psalms, we don't know who the authors are. Um, but we do know that this is David um, for the director of music with stringed instruments, according to Shemineth, the a Psalm of David. And this particular Psalm, David is fearing that he's going to die because he's sick. He doesn't specify what the illness is or why he feels like he's going to die, but that's, that's the background. And so we start with, Oh Lord, which is our, preface we are directing this to god and then we go to um a protest oh lord don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage ever feel like you're sick because god is mad at you this is what david's feeling like okay have compassion on me lord for i am weak heal me lord my bones are in agony i'm sick at heart how long oh lord until you restore me. 
And then he, he does, he, we're going to jog around a little bit. He, in the middle, gives praise. He says, return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. For the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? And then he describes his suffering. I am worn out from sobbing. Ever been there? All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. And then he sends another praise. Go away, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. May all my enemies be disgraced and terrified. May they suddenly turn back in shame. And then he ends with trust. May all my enemies, oh, whoops. The end was all, you know, it's a trust that God is going to be just, right? They, he understands that his enemies are not going to win. And that is his plea of trust. And then we go to a communal uh, l- lament. And this is Psalm 80. I'm not going to do the whole thing, and I'll explain why. So in Psalm 80, we, it, this is a psalm of Asaph. We're not given any information as to what happened to the community or congregation, to why it was written, but it was for the whole community. And... Um, he starts by saying that it's set to the tune of uh, the lilies of the covenant. I'd like to know what that tune is. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> um, okay, so in the beginning, the preface is, Hear us, shepherd of Israel, who, uh, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you sit enthroned between the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. And the reference... Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh actually talked about the whole um, uh, region that was Israel. Like Ephraim was to the north, and Benjamin was to the south, and Manasseh was the right. I'm not exactly sure on the locations, but you get what I'm saying. So it was like the north and the south and the east, and it was the whole community, right? That God is in charge of all of it, that he loves all of them. And then we go to... um, the petition, um, and he says, awaken your might, come and save us, restore us, O God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And then he does the protest. So it's a little bit, you know, he's got a petition and then a protest. How long, Lord, God almighty, will you ang- where your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Do you hear the plea to like, come on, God, <laughs> you know, like you're, you're, you're like calling on what, what he's good at. You know, you don't want us to look bad in front of the enemy. Right. Um, and then he petitions again, restore us. God almighty, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And then there's a section, um, of remembrance. So what Marilee shared last week is right in the middle of this communal psalm, verses 8 through 18, talk about the vine and the vine being transplanted. And so it's a picture of the Old Testament of the, the Israelites coming out of Egypt and being put into the promised land. But who else do we hear be referred to as the vine? 
Yeah. So there's a prophetic element looking forward to who's to come, right? Um, and then at the end of remembering, we hear praise. We will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. There's a trust in that. And so a lament, <laughs> I mean, a lament is so many things. It's sadness, it's grief, it's loss, it's fear, it's anxiety, it's anguish, it's sadness. You know, grieving, you can grieve. There's so much grief in all of this. Like, I, I, I struggle to say that they're separate. Like, in all those situations, you're grieving something. You've lost something. And in the end, like I said about my daughter, there's a place where um, there's these tasks of grief by a um, famous author who wrote uh, Warden's Tasks of Grief. And he talks about when you're grieving, the first thing you need to do is accept that it happened. So for me... You know, and maybe it's a loss of a job or a loss of a marriage or a loss of somebody from death. But then we process that grief, which is what the, the laments are doing. They're processing the grief to the Lord. And then um, Warden's tasks, the third one, is to adjust to a world that that person is no longer there. And this is the key. His fourth task is to find a way to embark on a new life. And so sometimes your prayers don't get answered. Does that mean I get to stay stuck in my lament? Anybody know people who do? I had a choice. I could have done that. Stay stuck in my grief. God's not fair. He wouldn't have allowed that to happen. I can't believe he did that. I can't serve him anymore. Anybody know people who did that? You know, we have a great picture of somebody who has stayed in their anger. His name is Jonah. Anybody remember Jonah? Jonah was used by God in a powerful way. And he sat on a hill at the end. And he looked over the city that got saved, received salvation. And what did he do? They didn't deserve his grace or mercy. That was wrong. I don't think that's right. And where did he stay? Stuck on that hill in his anger. I mean, God chose him to deliver a great message, see people saved. What could have happened next? How else could God use him? It would be amazing. But I'm going to stay over here all You know, we have a choice every time we have a circumstance we don't like. We can choose to forgive and move on, or we can stay stuck. I'm telling you, staying stuck doesn't doesn't benefit you. God doesn't want you stuck. He doesn't want you stuck in unforgiveness, anger, grief, whatever it is. He wants to transform you. And the only way to transform you is to put your trust in him. 
He's the only one. No. There's a quote that I found that says, submission and reverence come as we take our broken reality and place it with our limping, dependent faith at God's feet. I'm going to read that again. Submission and reverence come as we take our broken reality and place it with limping, dependent faith at God's feet. First Thessalonians 4.13 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind without hope. Do you know that you always have hope? Do you know that no matter what your circumstances is, you have hope? Do you know that you have hope in everything? Because God loves you. He had, you know, there's hope for me. My daughter died and guess what? She's with him and I get to see her again. I have hope because I know where I'm going. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with my savior. If you don't know him as your Lord and savior, man, you're missing out. You are missing out. He's so good. He's so, oh, he's so much. And he loves you. So much that he went to a cross, died a horrible death, just so you could be reunited with him. The lament psalms are so good, and God put them in here. He put them in here, and and he said, read them. Learn from them. If you got a good study Bible, so good. You can look in psalms, and there's like, a good study Bible, Cameron, Cameron used to make fun of me because there's like hardly any of the Bible and there's all this other stuff, right? There's all this other stuff, but all this other stuff, if you want to go deep, you're like, oh, this Psalm is a Psalm of lament. This Psalm is a Psalm of so-and-so. And you can pick apart and go, oh, that's what that means. And you can learn for yourself. And it's so amazing. God put that in there. So you could, when you're having a hard time, go, Somebody else understands. The psalmists understand. They teach us to cry out to God. He knows it anyway. He knows your heart. All he's doing is waiting for you to tell him. Ever had, those of you who have been parents, ever had like an angry teenager who won't tell you what's going on, but you already know? You're like, I'd love to like love you in your complaint i'd like to love you and help you but your teenage angst is over there doing the thing you know god's just waiting god's more perfect and better and all-knowing than your best parent could be and he wants to embrace you and just as important is to trust him cry out to him and then trust him in your anger and your grief in your doubt, in your unforgiveness. (laughs) Turn and trust God, for he is good. Amen.
Thank you, Kathy. Yeah, some of you needed to hear this morning that this is okay, that you're allowed to express pain and these difficult emotions to God. You don't have to keep them bound up inside or pretend they don't exist. Some of you needed to hear this morning that it's to God that you go with these emotions and not other people. And some of you, I feel like he's highlighting that trust piece, you know, laying it before him and saying, but I trust you and I'm going to praise you. And um, I just believe that we all have things that we need to lament about. Um, painful things that you get reminded of from your childhood. Maybe you've been dealing with a physical pain in your body for a very long time. Just close your eyes right now. <clears throat> what grief do you have inside your heart? What sadness is there that's been unexpressed before the Lord? Just going to encourage you to begin to open that before the Lord. And I'll encourage you to do it privately so you, so you can be as animated as you need to be. But it's so important that we do this, guys, because here's why. The condition of your heart is of utmost importance. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in the holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. A pure heart is so important. And if you have unresolved grief and pain, it just affects your heart. It can turn hard in time. It is, it, it's not able to be as pliable and supple before the Lord as one that has opened up you open up that piece of your heart, that pain, that sadness. You express it. Pour it out before him and say, but I will trust you, God. Come and minister. Have your way. You Guess what you just did? You opened up that place of your heart. It can't turn hard. It can stay soft. The, the um, consistency of your heart is of utmost importance, guys. Hmm. Well, Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that um, this is a real piece of life to, to learn how to appropriately express the tough things that we've been through before you and cry out and petition for you to move and heal and restore. So I pray a blessing right now over this congregation, over each one, Lord, that we would step into that in a, in a greater way, in a healthier way, that our hearts um, could be open before you and we could receive love, we could receive comfort, we could receive answer, we could receive peace into those places. Thank you, God.
We trust you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.